This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to the Beamsy and Brit podcast. She hits hard. She'll get the six. Grace Harris sets a new mark in the WBBL with a 42 ball punt. There's a run out of the bowlers end. Unbelievable. Bold. Sarah Coitz has got the wicket and it's all high fives for the players in the green and gold. Beamsy and Brit, who are they? Hello, it's been a while in case you've forgotten or this is your first time hearing the show. This is, of course, the ABC's Maiden Cricket podcast called Beamsy and Brit. We join you ahead of the WBBL 09 finals, ready to get stuck into our second summer of watching cricket for long hours of the day and sometimes even pulling all-nighters in order to watch and share our thoughts with you on women's cricket. Because it has been so long since we recorded an episode, a reminder, my name is Brittany Carter. I'm a sports journalist here at the ABC in Sydney. And with me is a woman I'm very happy to be reunited with after a long four months. Coming to us from Tassie is former Aussie leg spinner Kristen Beams. Beamsy, it has been close to 19 weeks since we wrapped the women's ashes in July. Clearly, I've been counting. Uh, It's flown, but also that seems like a long period of time. So much has happened and we've got a lot to cover. Firstly, I want to know how have you been and how is everyone's favourite third host who casually likes to join us every now and then, Mr. Billy Beans doing? What have you guys been up to? (laughs) It's so nice to be back. I feel 19 weeks older, but it it feels like the time has has flown a little bit. Um, I'm going really well and... Billy Beams is actually become a real chatty Cathy. So I'm glad he's actually not around in the background because he would actually want to come on and, and play a lead role. So we'll, we'll probably have to work out how we weave him in because these podcasts don't go for long enough with the amount of talking that that little human does. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that he's still as chatty as he was when he's previously popped up on the pod. So that's good to hear and loving the cricket still, I'm assuming. Yes, he goes to a lot of cricket games. Um, he gets very angry when he can't go onto the field for WBBL. Um, he wants to go on the grass with his aunties, um, but instead he, he's got a little space um, at Blunston Arena that he likes to go to and yells out the window. Um, and I'm not sure if it's distracting. It probably is, but all the Hurricanes girls tend to give him a little wave and, and come over and talk to him, which is a pretty nice and cool thing for a two-and-a-half-year-old to have. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, the elephant in the room that we need to address is that, yes, we admit we're a bit late to the WBBL. Picking back up to record the week of the finals is a bit of a cheeky move from us. But the important thing is we're here now and we'll be with the listeners right through the summer on the ABC Listen app from the WBBL finals to the WNCL to Australia's overseas tour of India and then back home to host South Africa. We've got plenty to sink our teeth into. I'm particularly looking forward to that India tour, Beamsy, and just seeing how the Aussies fare in the tough subcontinent conditions because they've got some challenges up their sleeve. They're on the hunt for a new captain to replace Meg Lanning. So I'm very much looking forward to that series. Yeah, and we've got a test in there as well. There's a lot of things in and around there. There's there's so much uncertainty. And, and as a player, it's a really nice time. They've come off the back of some cricket. So There'd be some people going, hey, I've, I've actually done a, a pretty good job here. I'm in really nice touch. I'm coming into a series. We don't know who the captain's going to be, but it's always kind of nice timing when you feel like you got some cricket under your belt. And it's a big ask. They're away for Christmas. That's a, that's a big deal to be, to be going somewhere like India. But the crowds are going to be incredible. It's going to be hot. There's going to be so many talking points for us. 
um, across the summer. And, and what that best 11 looks like for Australia is probably anyone's guess at this point. Yeah. Well, on this particular episode, we'll mostly be focusing on the end of the ninth women's big bash league season and the remaining four teams still left in the running to lift the trophy. So I guess the place to start would be the ladder. And this year's looks quite different to the last. Just the Adelaide Strikers and Brisbane Heat were able to hold on to a top four position. While last year's wooden spooners, the Sydney Thunder, guided by new coach Lisa Kitely, have rocketed from the very bottom of the ladder into a finals place. The Strikers have clearly been the most dominant side. They've only dropped three matches from 14 And they're sitting on 22 points, six points clear at the top, and they've secured that home final advantage at Adelaide Oval. So they're just going to sit back, watch the next couple of games unfold and see who they're going to face. Then it's pretty tight all the way from second to seventh with just four points and two victories separating the Scorchers in second place way down to the Melbourne Stars in seventh. The one team I think that has truly been left high and dry has been the poor old Melbourne Renegades who have really had, I think, just the season to forget, registering just two wins. And I was worried the Sixers were going to be the strugglers this summer because they had a false start. Elisa Healy was out with a gruesome injury, got a dog bite from one of her pets. Bit of a freak accident there. Um, But they've managed to come good in the back half of the comp and finished in fifth, just missed the cutoff. So as we cast our eyes over this ladder now, Beamsy, what's the biggest thing you take away from the table? Are there any big surprises or disappointments for you? Yeah, I think when I look at that ladder, I think the the one, two and three, I thought we were about right. I think the the strikers, the scorches and the heat could have been in kind of any order there. And I would have thought if you'd have showed me that, it would have been like, yep, I think that's that's about right. I think that fourth position probably has been the the surprising one. And I, I think the Sydney Thunder have looked incredible um, this year. They have managed to just get the job done consistently time and time again, but I'm not sure too many people would have had them in their top four. I think you could actually look at any of those bottom four between sixes, hurricanes, stars and renegades and thought, well, going into the season, any of them could have really been in and around that four. I think the Renegades would be disappointed. Um, Mo- Sophie Molyneux would have made a huge difference. If Taylor Vlamenic had been available, that would have made a huge difference to their yeah. chances. Um, and you probably talk about the stars in the the same conversation. If Meg Lanning was available for all of the games, the Hobart Hurricanes were in and in around. Their form was a little bit up and down and then Healy being injured as well. So there's probably little storylines for the bottom four that have probably meant that it, they just haven't been able to push up into it. But I've liked the the Sydney Thunder and the way that they've gone about it. Um, and there's been a lot of conversation about Lisa Kitely and just the environment that she's created. And um, sometimes that has a lot to do with it in Big Bash cricket. If you the team's humming along and having a good time, funnily enough, the, the performance seems to be pretty high as well. Yeah, I kind of thought that the Thunder were definitely going to be up there this season. Just I think when I saw Kitely was coming to take over that coaching role. And then also just the way they went about recruiting and the overseas players they brought in. I kind of just had this inkling that the Thunder probably should make that top four this year. But, I mean, it's Big Bash cricket and T20 cricket, so you just never guaranteed anything. So the fact they've done it I think is is quite impressive. The Strikers, Scorchers and Heat, those three teams you could safely say are probably teams that have had the least amount of change over the the past couple of seasons. They've kind of retained their big stars and been able to be quite consistent with their performances. So I think anyone who maybe has missed this season 
and maybe just got a glance at the ladder for the first time would see those three teams and think, oh, yeah, business as usual. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think the thing about those three teams is having really good domestic talent or Australian players. So that allows you to have that consistency. When was the last time we saw an Australian player that changed teams? Um, and same with domestic players. We haven't seen as much movement. The the actual draft itself has created a bit more movement of those overseas players. Yeah. Um, so, But I think when I look at those three teams, their dominant performers are all their domestic and, and Australian players. So that's really the recipe for success in in my opinion through through that as well so um we're seeing players um really perform really highly katie mack has had an incredible year for the adelaide strikers beth mooney four years in a row um as the leading Mm. run scorer like there's so many really good stories within each of those top three teams so it it doesn't really feel surprising that they are where they are and a six year in a row for the brisbane heat to make the finals that is mighty impressive isn't it yeah, it is. And um, they've done some interesting things over time. I think we've seen them not play their overseas players in previous WBBL seasons and give those opportunities to their domestic players. So it, it feels like over a long period of time, they've had that sustained success because of some decisions that were probably a little bit hard to play um, or hard to make. And those decisions are actually paying off now for them. So um, probably just rewards on on good decisions. Well, the other big talking point, of course, is the team of the tournament, which was announced this morning and voted on by the eight club head coaches. So just run through these quickly now. Beth Mooney, Katie Mack, Jamari Adapatu, Sophie Devine, named as captain, Elise Perry, Annabelle Sutherland, Amy Edgar, Amanda Jade Wellington, Chloe Ainsworth, Lauren Cheadle, and Sophie Day with Charlie not named at 12th. The top five run scorers and top three wicket takers all made it in, so that makes sense. And there are some regular faces you'd expect to see, Sophie Devine, Beth Mooney, Elise Perry, Amanda Jade Wellington. But what I love most about this team of the tournament is there are some previous fringe players and young names listed here that are still very new to the scene, like your Chloe Ainsworth, for example, who has been on debut this season, just 18 years old, the fact that she's made the team, that is so impressive in her very first year, knowing the calibre of player that's on show in the WBBL. Yeah, and I think it, I, I think I read somewhere that it was voted on by the coaches and I think that's nearly given it a nice little edge to it. It's not kind of this stats-based team that you kind of squish everyone into a team and hope it works. And I, mm. I think that just goes to show that the coaches are actually looking at a player like Chloe Ainsworth and going, hey, she's actually impacting games. I've seen so many times her bowl through this WBBL where it's been nicked for four and you just think, oh, that's so heartbreaking for a young player <laughs> who's bowling quick and swinging the ball. But I think that's just saying that coaches are, are seeing that. I think Sophie Day as well is one of the incredible stories out of the, the WBBL. I think I love it every time there's an interview with Sophie Day. She's the most laid back person. She talked about catching a tram to the game at the MCG because that's what she normally does. Yeah, and she got a shout out on the tram. I'm like, that is so cool. It's those stories that are that I love about the the WBBL. And I remember when I was playing, we were just like, right, let's get her down. And she was like a net bowler. And I was like, we've got to get this girl into the team. Like a left arm orthodox is is so good. So to see a player who's gone from essentially being a net bowler for the Melbourne Stars to being the leading wicket taker and has found a home at the Melbourne Stars um, is something that kind of fills me with lots of joy and to see a player like that dominate is awesome. And same with a Charlie Knott. I think the potential for that girl into the future and playing for Australia is she's just on the up and up. So it's nice to see players like that in the team of the tournament as well as our top performers. 
It's awesome to see the progression, isn't it? And the investment in the young ones kind of paying off as time goes on. And I think for Sophie Day, like she's been making strides in the WNCL for some time now. So yeah, to see her sort of take hold of the WBL has been good too. And that tram story, that had me in hysterics. And I think she was an easy spot because she was in full kit, wasn't she, with a cricket bag and everything? Yeah, I was thinking to myself, oh, yeah, full kit. She's probably caught the tram, right? But then I'm thinking, oh, no, she's actually had to take her kit bag as well because you know what it's like, right, when you get on public transport and someone, like, gets a bike on or something and you're like, oh, that's so annoying, like somebody <laughs> put a bike on the train or the tram or whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, what would you do if it was somebody who just rolls up a cricket bag and it's like if she's in full stars kit, you're like, well, we probably can't diss this because she's actually going to the game at the MCG. So, like, it's it's so funny. Yeah, she's very laid back, that's for sure. Uh, I want to give a special shout-out to Sri Lankan Shamari Adapatu too, who went public with her hurt feelings on social media after she was snubbed by the WPL in India, the 100 in the UK, and also initially in this year's WBBL Draft 2, she put a tweet up sort of saying, how am I not making it into these leagues? And I'm doing such good things for Sri Lanka. So the Sydney Thunder did end up finding room for her in their salary cap and they signed the fourth overseas player with the contract of Chamari Adipatu. But hasn't she paid them back in spades? She's been the runner-up for most runs this tournament, just behind Beth Mooney, 511, averaging about 42 and a high score of 80. So it just shows you sometimes you need an opportunity and once you've got it, just absolutely... Prove the naysayers wrong because I, I doubt that the WPL and the 100 will be second-guessing picking up Chamari Adipadu now. Yeah, they're great stories and I think that's what, that they're the stories that kind of bring this tournament to life in a, in a lot of ways because we we have seen lots of players put their hand up and then not be available and there's so much chopping and changing and I think to have the, the mindset of going, hey, I'm pretty hurt and I wish I'd have had my opportunity, but then to actually, it comes to you later you can actually easily blow that, um, in my opinion, because you're already kind of got in your head like, oh, no, this feels pretty ordinary. I wish I'd have been picked up. But I think the fact that she was able to kind of shrug it off, get over here and actually prove that she is very capable at a WBBL le- level is is only going to help her in those other tournaments. And I think we see time and time again, you only have to kind of have one really good franchise tournament mm-hmm. and you can find your way into the 100 and then the WPL and all of a sudden it kind of rolls on for her. So it's been really pleasing to, to see her have that opportunity. I love her passion. Like it's something that I, I quite like to butt heads with her a little bit when I played because <laughs> she's such a competitor. But I think to to watch it now and just be purely be a fan, I can really get around all of the all of the passion that she's showing. And um, and she again is somebody who's spoken about the environment at the Thunder and how much she loves it. So that again, it's another cool story from the WBBL. She's one of the highlights, isn't she? Anytime Australia plays Sri Lanka in a World Cup or any of those kind of major tournaments, being able to see Chamari Adipadu come out all guns blazing, I think, is something you look forward to. I did see a lovely video on Cricket Australia's socials of a Sri Lankan man that they saw in the crowd over the weekend. He was there with his daughter at one of the matches and they just got him on camera and said to him, what do you love about Chamari Adipadu? And he was speaking about how much, you know, she was doing for Sri Lankan cricket. And, yeah, I think there was some talk about even considering switching teams if you didn't go through the Sydney Thunder. So we're going to play some of that for you now uh, so you can hear it too. This is fantastic. I mean, it's truly amazing to see a Sri Lankan, uh, the Sri Lankan captain who's being exceptional, 
and that recognition given by Cricket Australia is absolutely brilliant. So we are proud of Chamari. She's been doing this all around the world and for her to come here and play in the Women's Big Bash and do what she's doing exactly right now and to be recognized with, you know, having a, um, you know, a bay named after her at one of these big matches is truly amazing. So as a Sri Lankan, I think it's a really proud moment for all of us. Absolutely fantastic. You might not be a Sydney Thunders fan, you might be, you know, a Sixers fan, doesn't matter who you are. If you love cricket, you're going to enjoy this lady and the way she approaches the game. It's, it's truly amazing, the fearless cricket that she brings in, the Sri Lankan style of cricket, so to put it. And um, when she gets going, it's a treat to watch. And even here at the Sydney Cricket Ground, it's amazing. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, we've had a rather challenging period with, you know, the World Cup, but uh, we have something to cheer about. And I mean, we are delighted and so thankful that Shamari is, you know, keeping the lion flag right up there and doing what she should be doing. Yes, kudos to Chamari Adipadu on such a wonderful season so far. And the important thing to note is that there's not going to be a lot of money on the table playing for the national Sri Lankan side. So if she can continue to play this short format cricket around the world, then that's probably where she'll make the main money that comes in from cricket in her career. Yeah, and we've seen that a lot with some of the South African players as well. And and the professionalisation in South Africa continues to grow as well. But when we think of the likes of Marizan Cap, Lizelle Lee, Mignon Dupreya, Dave and Nikek over a long period of time, they've actually had really good success in franchise cricket, which has allowed them to continue to progress their career, but also earn the sort of money that they deserve to earn because they're, they're at the top of their game. So um, again, they're, they're kind of really cool stories that we we need to keep telling because um, that Chamari Adipadu opportunity that she's had here, what is that going to mean for her future? Like that's so, so cool. Yeah, amen. The other player I really want to talk to you about is Lauren Cheadle, who has impressed so much this WBBL season. She's caught the eye of the Australian selectors again. After a very long time out of the team, largely due to injury, she's had a a mix of stuff that's really prevented her from being at her best. And she's now been named to the test squad for that multi-format series against India in December. So 21 wickets this season. I don't think I've seen a photo or video or moment of her throughout this WBBL comp where she hasn't had a huge smile on her face. And generally, if someone's got a huge smile on their face, they're playing pretty good cricket because they're in a pretty good mood. So I think it's been a remarkable comeback. Did you have a lot to do with cheats during her time in the Australian camp? Because she was only a teenager back then, but there was kind of a lot of pressure put on her as this left arm young quick and There was so much talk at the time about wanting to find pace in women's bowling, and I think she was Australia's answer, or so they thought, until all the injuries came. Yeah, I mean, I had a little bit to do with cheats really early on in in her career. We actually share the same birthday, so we've always Ah. had something in common that we've shared the same birthday when we've been on tour and in and around things, but about 25 years difference, I think, the (laughs) age gap between the two of us, but just unbelievable talent coming in. I think she could do things as, you know, that kind of teenager that it was like, wow, I can't believe she can do this and where she's going to get to. And I think you're right. I think people just kind of assume like, oh, great, she's here and then she's going to have this really long career. But I I think she's battled so hard through injuries and it's, I don't think even us people that have followed cheats are going to have all of the insights to everything that she's gone through. And mm. and I think, you know, if she ever kind of sits down and talks through all of those different injuries, I think it would absolutely blow people's mind of what she's had to overcome to be in a position now where 
she's been selected for Australia again. But more importantly, she's playing really good cricket and enjoying And I think you mentioned it, but when you're doing those things, actually it is the right time to be selected. And I'd love to see her get an opportunity in that test match. I think she offers such an amazing point of difference. She swings the ball. She's left arm. There's, there's so much to like. And when you're picking a test team, you want to have variation in that bowling lineup to give you the best chance to, to take wickets. And, and Sheets absolutely gives you that. Yeah, a couple of shoulder reconstructions and an early stage skin cancer diagnosis is listed here. Now I'm just having a bit of a look into the injuries that Cheats has suffered. So remarkable that someone after that much adversity is still going. It kind of reminds me of what's happened with Taylor Valemic, really. I mean, there was so much promise around her when she first started with the Aussie team too, and they've kind of both been through this horrid run of injuries where they've had to really keep their goals in sight because certainly they've had more setbacks than most. Yeah, um, and unbelievably good people. I think to to have to keep getting yourself up to have a, another go at the rehab and to do that and have to kind of have that competitiveness to kind of work through that is just not something everybody has. We all want to have that, but generally when you have a major injury, it, it's really hard to get back to where you, you came from and, and, and that kind of starting point. But I think with both Tay and, and Cheeks, we've seen them just do that consistently is to, to keep coming back and, and working through that rehab. And it's, it's just so impressive. And mm-hmm. yeah, as, as I said, we, we just have no idea what they've gone through as individual athletes to, to get to where they are, but they're both incredible talents. And I love that they've persisted so much and the system keeps supporting them to, to get to where they are. Yeah. Kind of reminds me too of Pat Cummins. He went through his own run of things and now look at him. So let's hope the same happens for Taylor and Lauren. If we zoom out for a minute and just take a wider look at the competition as a whole for WBBL09, I'm really curious to know whether you think it's kind of failed to cut through to sport fans and garner the same kind of attention it has in previous seasons because I personally feel like it's been a little bit lost this year. I know we had a talk last summer about how the men's T20 World Cup that was held in Australia at the same time may have overshadowed the women's big bash a little bit. And I was having a chat to someone at work and they were kind of saying to me, well, maybe the men's ODI World Cup's kind of done the same thing. But I don't feel like that's been at the same scale given that that's been played in India. It's not a time-friendly time, (laughs) that scheduling for Australians to kind of tune in and watch. And I think the interest in the World Cup kind of built as Australia did better in the later rounds of that tournament. So certainly in the beginning, I don't think the World Cup had the following it had by the final for Australians anyway. But I don't know if I'm just making this up in my head or... Oh, it just kind of feels like the competition is in a bit of a lull. And from the outside, it's looked like there's less promotion, less prominence in the sporting landscape. So I kind of feel like even though all the rusted on cricket fans like you or I or anybody tuning into this podcast probably has been following it as closely as they normally would. But yeah, overall, it's feeling like it's a little bit flat at the moment, the WBBL. So I don't know if I'm totally off there or if you kind of get where I'm going with that, Beamsy. No, I, I've got you. And I, I, my take is that cricket fans are ready and they're ready for full broadcast. They want to flick on their TV every night and they want to watch WBBL cricket. And unfortunately, we don't have that at the moment. So we've got the kind of the mixture of broadcast games and streamed games. So you're not really sure what platform you're going to watch WBBL cricket on. 
if you're lucky enough to have KO, you can pretty much go to one-stop shop. But if you, you don't, you're having to go seven, seven, mate. You're not really sure where you're going to. Sometimes they're streamed on cricket.com.au. So I think we're asking a lot of fans. But I think what they've told us over the, the last sort of 12 to 24 months is that they're ready for, for that full broadcast and, and they're ready to be watching cricket really consistently and that there's a real market for it. So I just feel like it's time. I think it's time for us to go back to, okay, let's let's stop. We've done a great job, but let's put it on prime time so that we just make it easy for people to know what they're going to be watching. And, and I, again, a full broadcast um, season I think is is really important. Um, I think from a, a DRS, a third umpire, I think there's some some integrity parts to the game, but I also think from a fan experience we need to see that as well. So it just it kind of just feels like time. Yeah, and I think you made a great point before we started recording that the men's big bash it's creating a habit for you because you know the set time that you can turn on the TV and there will be a game there every single night of the summer. And we don't have that with the women's big bash. I think you put it perfectly when you said we're asking a lot of fans, of WBBL fans in particular, because it's jumping around. You might have a game at 10 a.m. on a weekday that you're trying to work and keep up with. And there was even a game, I think, for the Perth Scorchers where it was played at 10 a.m. on the eastern side of Australia, but that meant a 7 a.m. watch for Perth Scorchers fans back in WA. So this, yeah, ad-lib kind of season that's lacking a bit of structure for people to kind of grab hold of and and know exactly where to find the games. I think the other thing that's changed in recent years is, as you've said, we've got a stream of some games and we've got a full TV broadcast of others, but it's generally the same people working across those games. So that makes it even harder to distinguish, is this a stream game? Is this a televised game? Do we have DRS you know, on offer? Is it there? Because They've got the same crew working across them, but sometimes it's streamed and sometimes it's TV. So it's just really hard to distinguish where the WBBL sits at the moment. And I think it's just kind of in a bit of a confusing space. Yeah, I, I absolutely blew up on one of the early games because I couldn't work out why they didn't DRS it. And then I realised there was a reason they didn't because it wasn't the, the broadcast game. So you're right, it does provide that little bit of confusion for people because you kind of nearly need to be on that journey every game to kind of say, you know, they're there is DRS or there's not. And, and this is what that that kind of means throughout um, the, the game itself. But yeah, it, it just feels like for a fan, I have to go and do a whole lot of digging. And I think when we're talking about bringing new fans in and we want to create um, those lifelong memories, it's, it's actually really hard to do when it's, it's jumping around a little bit. Like I, I know what I'm going to be doing on Boxing Day this year because I know that there's a test match on that starts on Boxing Day mm-hmm. and it does that every year. So there's it's about trying to create those opportunities for the women's game. So whether that be through the Big Bash, as you said, BBL, I know when it starts there's a game on every night and there's only a couple of nights where there's not one on. So I know that, but I don't know that for WBBL and, and I don't think we know that for the Australian women's team either. We haven't kind of got that set summer so that people know hey it's January well I'd expect to be watching the Australian women's team play and I I think being able to be in and consistently in is going to be another really important thing to make sure people are actually able to watch it because they just know it's a part of their their summer so we just haven't created that yet for the WBBL but I think that's the single biggest opportunity moving forward. Speaking of the men's big bash we are really lucky at the ABC we get to catch up with the Australian players in the lead up to the summer every year. 
And we do this thing called a content capture and we sit down and we chat with each player about various things and we basically get all the content we need to promote the game throughout the summer during those days. So we're at the SCG in September this year and I was asking them, what do you think the WBBL could learn from the other comps that are gaining prominence around the world, mainly probably the 100 in the UK and the WPL in India now that that's kind of taken off this year? And a lot of them really said they would prefer to go back to some kind of doubleheader format where they're more integrated with the men's matches. Now, Tess Flintoff, who has, you know, really made a name for herself the last couple of years in Big Bash, she was kind of explaining that she doesn't have anything to do with the men's players at at the Stars. She said, we have completely different seasons. There's not even a crossover, you know, at the headquarters. So I wouldn't know half the players, she said. And I remember back in WBVL01, and I'm being a bit nostalgic here, but as a Sydney Thunder fan, remembering that they both won the trophy that year, there was a Michael Hussey and there was an Alex Blackwell and they both won and there was this big group photo of both the teams together. And it was this really nice moment where it was epitomising this two-team, one-club ideal. The club hung their hat on that for most of that season. And as time has gone on and since WBBL 05, the women's game has become more of a standalone competition. We've seen more of a pull away from that. And the doubleheaders themselves, they had their problems. There was far too big a gap in between the men's and women's games. I remember going to one at the SCG and waiting maybe an hour and a half, two hours for the men's to come on. And so that was fine because I was there mostly to watch the women. But if you had turned up to watch the men, you probably wouldn't be coming that early to then get that carryover you kind of after but we are seeing it work for I think particularly the 100 where they've got that format down pat and Phoebe Litchfield even said that the 100 has become her favorite tournament to play in now that is a young Aussie we don't want saying that I mean I appreciated honesty that's what I wanted from her but I was kind of like hang on like the WBBL is where you made your name it's where you broke out as a teenager and yet she's preferring playing in the 100 right now because of that festival atmosphere they're creating the opportunity to play at more iconic, larger venues with that men's alignment. So I'd really love to know where your head's at at this because I think a lot of women's sports fans, as soon as you bring up a double header, they're like, oh, no, we don't want to go back to that. You know, we've moved away from that. But the players themselves are asking for it. So what are your thoughts on that, Beamsy? Yeah, I'm a big believer we've got to go back to double headers because I loved them as a player and I think, you want to have that crossover between your men's team and your women's team. And 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 I, I felt that at the Stars and I, there were so many moments that were always joined. And I think it gives you that opportunity to cross-promote. And I don't think that's one way. So I don't think it's about the men's game helping the women's game. I, I think mm. Big Bash, the BBL at times has really struggled and it could actually be leveraged a little bit more. I think that the WBBL could support the BBL a little bit more as well. So I see it being sort of mutually beneficial, but I also think for fans as well, the, the day that the stars used to have, they used to have a big family day out at um, Casey fields and it would be the most ginormous day. And we'd be that every player would be there from both teams and there would be kids everywhere. There'd be signing sessions, but there'd be opportunities to have that interaction. You'd be getting to know one of the male players and you'd be interacting with the kids and doing all those sorts of things. So as a fan as well, we're talking about making it easy for fans. Well, as a parent, I don't want to take my child to the Stars Family Day for the WBBL and then come back two months later and go to another one. I'd actually love 
them to be combined so that you know kids attention span is is pretty short and my, <laughs> my son's got the memory of a goldfish but so you want it to be short and sharp so how can we give great experiences to kids to experience get to know the players go and watch games of cricket like to me that's better if it's shorter um mm. if we can create that but I'm actually not surprised that um, players are starting to talk that way and I think because of people's experiences in the hundred it's the 100 to me has been a really positive view on double headers. So I think we've we've probably naturally come from a negative view because the BBL existed and then we we kind of just tacked on WBBL to it and hoped that it would, could kind of be leveraged by the BBL. So I think the 100 is really putting a different spin on double headers. So I hope it gets some cut through. I'd love to see it back in Australia, but I understood why it was done and it, and it worked. And we got so many people to the 2020 World Cup in 2020 at the MCG. That was incredible. But I think it's, I kind of think it's time to pivot and take a different direction and then let's see what's possible with double headers. Cause I think the crowd stuff could be incredible if we do it. Particularly because I don't think we've got to that same level of interest um, and same amount of crowds coming along. I don't think we've got there since the pandemic hit. I think women's sport was really one of the big losers in that period where we had lockdowns and that because we had this huge wave of momentum we had this record-breaking night I remember crying that night which feels so lame but I just remember thinking like this is such a big deal and I don't think I was alone in that factor so I'm I'm comfortable saying I cried on that night but since then it's dipped a little bit and I still think there's the same love out there for the Australian women's team I still think there's this huge amount of interest in their success and what they do but we're just not seeing the same crowds or media, yeah, coverage. I mean, every time they win a World Cup, of course, they're going to get front page headlines, which is amazing and what should happen. But I just think that there has been a little bit of momentum lost. And I think the other thing the players said is we're not playing during a public holiday window. So if we're trying to grab hold of families and that's supposed to be one of our key target audiences, how are they getting to games if you're playing them at a weekday at 10 a.m. when kids are at school still? Like we're kind of not into summer yet. So although that October window has been good for the WBBL, the staple of the summer and then the international matches fall around that, I wonder if there is a, a decision that needs to be made about combining men's, women's together, maybe shortening the comps. Players have been vocal about that too so that we can still get the overseas players coming here and it's not such a big commitment. I wonder if that's something on the cards that we could probably either bring the men's big bash forward or push the women's big bash back and combine the two and make it this big festival where everyone's attention is on big bash cricket and then we kind of let that go and we move on to the other stuff. Yeah, I think so. I like the idea of combining it. I like it being condensed and having that real crossover because I think it's going to get more and more competitive for players across franchise cricket. So I think 14 games is a lot. Um, and I never want to be the person that says we should play less cricket, but I think we should play less WBBL cricket. I think we can add more WNCL games. We need to keep adding cricket content domestically, but I think we've got to be really clear on what we want out of the, the WBBL. So to combine it, it feels like the right time. The men are 10 games at the moment. So if it was 10 games for the women, it then would kind of replicate what the what the hundred have done, and and that feels really nice to be able to do that. Um, at the moment, we have one WNCL round before the WBBL starts. There's there's a great opportunity there. We could be playing two or three rounds in the lead up, so then we're not losing any cricket content, and we can still kind of extend the season a little bit longer through 
50 over cricket but being very clear on on t20 cricket because we know that that's where the the huge amount of marketability is but we also want our best players available and and playing for that as well so um i think smaller tournaments are going to help because obviously you're then trying to work with the icc on making sure you've got clear windows because we've we've seen time and time again where tours pop up and then players are only available for portions of tournaments. Yeah. And that's not going to help promote it long-term either. We want the best players playing. So let's make sure we get the window right. Now, just one more point on this theme. Thinking of crowds, we have to bring up the records that were broken over the weekend during the stadium series. So there was a push this season to see the WBBL return to big stadiums because for the past few seasons anyway, it's been more regional, uh, local-focused grounds. So we've seen a lot of games at Blacktown. We've seen a lot of games at your Hurstfields, your North Sydney Ovals, those kind of venues. I'm just speaking about those off the top of my head because I'm New South Wales-based. You know, Casey Fields, Junction Oval, a lot of those ones have also been heavily in rotation. Lilac Hill in Perth. I mean, <laughs> you know, some of these smaller venues certainly have taken prominence over the bigger stadiums. And so to see the WBBL head back to the MCG, Adelaide Oval, the SCG over the weekend, I think was a good push in the right direction. And fans turned up and showed the WBBL they want more of that. So 17,914 fans showed up at those bigger venues as a whole. Um, and when we break down those figures, they actually broke the record each day for an attendance at a regular season WBBL game. The highest was actually at the SCG on the Sunday, 7,118. Great to see that growth. And that's a real reward for the organisers being brave enough to go, hey, let's try this out again. Let's go back and see what we can get there now, particularly what we've seen the Matildas do during the FIFA Women's World Cup. I think there is this kind of boldness about women's sport at the moment where they're like, let's give it a go. What if it does work out? So that's a really good sign. And hopefully we see more bigger stadiums being involved next season. What I do wonder though is how cost effective it is. Getting 7,000 there, how long can you sustain that and still make the money you need to put on a show like that? And where my negative Nancy side kicks in is when I start to look again at those 100 numbers. I didn't look at the WPL numbers in India because I just think India is such a different kettle of fish. Like the amount of people they get to games is insane. But when you look at the 100, right, there was a report I was reading that said the average attendance at women's matches grew from under 8,000 in 2021 to over 10,000 in 2022. So that's an average. And we're talking about the record being broken for a regular season game at just over 7,000. That kind of shows me that, again, we're at this period of time where the WBBL needs to kind of make some big decisions about where it heads next. Yeah, I agree. And I I think it's great to see those numbers, but I, I tend to be a little bit negative with you as well on that is that I think the great thing about the smaller, I'd love to get 7,000 to a smaller venue where 10,000 was the capacity because yeah. when I think about an atmosphere at a cricket game, that's where the atmosphere lies. So I don't want to sound too negative because to get 7,000 people to the SCG is amazing, but it actually still looks bare um, when you when you when when the camera goes around, you kind of see that. So I think, again, it speaks to that double header because I think, And it's not about saying, oh, more people go to men's cricket than women's cricket. But again, if we have two games of cricket is the option on that day, that number is more than 7,000. I think, you know, it it might be double, maybe it could be even 5,000 more. And so you think about the atmosphere going from 
7,000 to 14,000 at the SCG, well, that's pretty incredible. Um, but I think it's also about thinking through what those venues are. And, and I know it's a, it's a tricky time, but you, you look at the MCG versus playing at Marvel, um, you know, does that create a different atmosphere with the roof closed? So is, is Marvel a better venue than the MCG? I, I don't know the answer, but I think it's, it's really kind of being really clear on what the, the venues are and what's the right timing for those games. Cause I kind of wondered whether those stadium games would have been better at the start of the tournament. I think mm. at the back end of the tournament, particularly if your team hasn't gone that well or, you know, you've already made the finals, are people more likely to come out? Whereas I feel like we're all a little bit optimistic at the the start of every franchise tournament that our team is going to be the one that could play in the final. So I don't know. I, I don't have all of the answers, but I, it'd be really nice to to think that, and I'm sure there are a lot of people sitting around going, how can we kind of do this better? But um, yeah, I think two two games of cricket at a major venue where your men's and women's team are playing, I think that's what I want as a fan and as a player. I think they're telling us that they want that as well. And the key difference that you're suggesting with that men's, women's doubleheader idea is that you have the local teams playing at the same venue, right? Because we did see some doubleheaders over the weekend in the women's big bash, but it was interstate teams playing before the local team. So that's hard to garner the audience there if you're trying to build a fan base and tap into the local fans at that venue. So, yeah, with that men's, women's combined, you would have potentially Sixers, Thunder, you know, playing a Sydney derby in the women's and the men's or, you know, flip them. I don't really care, <laughs> whatever, whatever way you want to go about it. But I think that that is key to trying to tap into the actual fan base that's there, not trying to attract Sydney Thunder fans to come to a hurricane strikers game because I just don't think you're going to get the same kind of pull no I don't think so and then what you can put in the middle then becomes really cool right so I'm I'm motivated to go and watch the um the the Sydney Thunder and the Sixers play knowing that the the you know the men are going to play before or after but I know that I'm going to stay for those two games so then what I can put in the middle which I think with 100 did really well is all of a sudden there's a DJ and there's there's all these things happening in between because I'm motivated to stay and then you're creating some stuff in the middle for me to to actually enjoy that downtime between the the two games. So I agree with you that we need to make sure it's a little bit shorter between the games, but if I'm motivated to stay, whereas if I'm going to go and watch them sticking around to watch the Brisbane Heat and the Scorchers and I'm from Sydney and I don't go for either of those teams, well, you can put the best DJ on in the world, but I'm probably not going to stay on and, and for that either. So I think you're right. I think it's just the motivation of, we want to see our team. And I thought mm. that they did that really well in the first few years of the, the WBBL. So people didn't go to watch the men's team and the women's team for the Melbourne Stars. They just went to watch the Melbourne Stars, but they knew that both teams would be playing. And I yeah. think that's that's sort of where we need to get back to, I think. Yeah. And just to, to touch back on that incredible night at the MCG in 2020, Katy Perry was playing that night. I mean, that's a huge incentive to come along to the cricket too, isn't it? So I think that entertainment piece is really kind of what it's lacking beyond the cricket at the moment at WBBL. So certainly a lot of things to think about and hopefully we've been um, light and shade there, not too critical. <laughs> Let's try and bring it back to positive. Before we get to predictions and what is coming up in these finals, let's chat favourite moments. What has been your favourite moment from the WBBL so far this season? Is there anything that surprised you that you've really liked or is there a player or a team that you've just really enjoyed watching? 
Oh, it's such a good question. I feel like there's been lots of really, really good moments and and players, and we've spoken about a couple of those already. I think Chloe Ainsworth and and Sophie Day have been two players that I've really enjoyed to to watch throughout. Um, but I, and again, like a Beth Mooney for four years in a row to be the leading run scorer. Like, there's so many incredible, incredible moments that that we've seen um, so far. But how do I pinpoint it into to one? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's really hard. But I I, I think for me, it's probably Sophie Day. I, I think when I think about what this tournament is about, seeing people come in and take their opportunity to see a player do that, to take twenty seven wickets in a in a WBBL when your team hasn't had the greatest of seasons, they've probably battled from time to time. But to see a player come through our domestic system and then dominate at that level, you'd expect to see an Australian player or an overseas player as the leading wicket taker in the tournament. So to see a player like that, that also is incredibly relatable, um, who has an incredible story, like I think it's the stories that make the the WBBL. So for me, Sophie Day has been the story of the the WBBL. Um, So that's probably my favourite moment. Followed a little, just maybe closely by Shabnam Ishmael and her little send-off. So I must admit I'm a big fan of a little <laughs> send-off. I think she's done it a few times for the Hurricanes. And so I love the competitiveness and the passion that people bring to it as well. It's it's another storyline, but I, I love seeing players like that. I'm not sure if that just because it reminds me of myself, but I've certainly enjoyed watching her as well. Well, mine's kind of on that train of thought about characters in the WBBL too. And mine goes way back to one of the opening rounds of the the competition with Grace Harris breaking her bat. Um, <laughs> so bat was almost broken. I'm sure many people have seen this highlight on social media by now because it absolutely went viral. But yeah, bat was almost broken. Said, can I get a new bat out here, please? And goes, oh, don't worry, I'll just hit it. Hits a six and um, the bat broke. And just the hilarity of Grace Harris never fails to entertain, I think. <laughs> Um, lastly, I wanted to make sure we left room to farewell the legend that is Jess Duffin as she bows out of the game and retires. At 34, we'll remember Jess as a cross-code athlete, one of the first examples of a women's cricketer heading to AFLW to try their hand at Aussie rules. 117 games for Australia during her career, one half century in her three test appearances and a high score of 90 not out in the ODIs. Jess now has two children who will likely be taking up a fair bit of time now that she's saying goodbye to cricket, but... She's done an absolute remarkable job of birthing those two children and then making her way back to the sport twice to continue playing. So I'm assuming you've made some good memories with Jess at some stage on a cricket field somewhere, Beamsy. Have you got anything fun to share with us, some stories, maybe what you remember Jess for the most? Well, I wouldn't share any stories because you've met Jess Duffin before, so like she'd absolutely kill me if I like threw out a, a bad story about her, that's for sure, but... <laughs> Honestly, I'll miss her so much. We actually debuted in the same year, which is five million years ago, and I'm so much older than her. So she was an uh, she was an incredibly talented young player, but she just played with no fear. And I, I think we we talk about players that that we say, oh, they play with no fear, and and most players actually really do play with with fear. I know I certainly did, but she was just somebody who just always took the game on and never never treated it like it was more than what it was. So I always felt like she had a really incredible perspective on the game, knowing that, yes, if you take the game on, sometimes you miss out and that's actually okay. She was somebody who I loved spending time with, both playing for Australia and 
and Victoria because she's just always no fuss. She actually doesn't really care what what people think about her. And again, we all wish we were like that, but it's actually a really hard thing to to live. But I think she's one of the most authentic people that I've ever played the game with. And to to be, she's been a player of a World Cup final twice. I think to to do that is just an amazing achievement. I think to go to a World Cup is amazing. I think to win a World Cup is amazing, but to be the player of a final and do it twice, I think just says so much about her and to come back after each child. I mean, I'm not sure I could run to the end of my street after having a child, but (laughs) she's come back and played two elite sports um, to do that. And I I just genuinely hope she's not lost to the game. I think she could be an incredible coach. I think she could do anything within the the game Um, but we want to keep those players close to the game because I think those insights and she's been through the whole of professionalization and lived those experiences is that yeah we just we just can't lose them but Mm. so fun so much loves a good time um, and probably one of the best fielders if not the best fielder in world cricket that that we've actually seen it'll be be hard to top a, a Jess Duffin. Mm, I'm glad that you brought the fielding up because I kind of always just remember her for the batting, but you're right. There were some really good moments in the field over time too. And the word you used was authentic. I was going to use the word genuine. So I think we're kind of on par there about how we think about just stuff. And okay, well, her retirement announcement on the Melbourne Renegades page made me a bit emotional, I have to say. So we're going to play some of that for you now. I didn't really know how to tackle today. Um so it might take me a while to get through, but I'll try not to look at my family because they're the ones that are going to start first. And, and Coity, because, yeah, put my glasses off. <laughs> Obviously, um, after all of that, I'm, I'm here to announce my retirement. Um, it's been one hell of a journey and um, I've loved every second of it. Um, obviously got two kids now that um, you know I want to put first so firstly to to the renegades to be able to do what I do I need the support of our of our hierarchy and to have your support Helmo over the last three seasons I think we've been involved together um, has been awesome and and James you've been there every step of the way to try and get me back involved somehow to the rest of our support staff um, I could go through you all but there's a a whole list but it's been a ball this year and to be able to finish today at the MCG um, couldn't ask for a better spot Um, to to obviously my family who are all here today thank you for coming today and and supporting me in my last game I think 24 years junior and I worked out that we've been involved in in, um, high level sports so um, it's it's a very long time uh, to to Coity, who's in the room today, to be able to come back and finish with one of your best mates, um, you don't often get the chance to do that. To, to you guys, to my teammates, um, ones that are here and ones that aren't, thank you so much for your support. Um, loved every minute of playing with the Renegades. Extremely fortunate to be able to stand here with you guys and, and be able to run out for the very last time. So thank you, everyone. Thanks to the Melbourne Renegades for that little video. Okay, so... Who wins it from here and why? How do we see this week playing out? We'll have the Eliminator on Tuesday with the Brisbane Heat coming up against the Sydney Thunder at the Wacker and the Challenger a day later on Wednesday with the Perth Scorchers to face the winner of that previous match. And then the final on Saturday, Adelaide Strikers securing that home final at Adelaide Oval. I... I'm always reluctant to do predictions around this time because T20 can be such a fickle game and you really, as cliche as it sounds, have to turn up on the day to win it. But I do like the strikers' chances again this year, I have to say, and I think many people, if they were betting people, would probably be leaning towards the team in blue for this one this year. 
Yeah, I think so. It was last year, didn't it? Was that Sixers finished top and then they, yes. they lost and people were like, oh, my goodness, like does it, you know, no one wants to have a break. Um, everyone wants to have the break. That's an absolute lie. Of course you want to have a break. You don't want to be travelling to Perth to then have to travel to to somewhere else to to play a final. So I think they've given themselves a given themselves a really good chance um, to to be walking away with, with this one. And it's the diversity in their bowling for me that just gives them so many wicket taking options. Um, that that's probably going to be the the difference for them. I think that if they don't win this, it's going to be because somebody's had an absolute day out. So if the if the Scorchers can get through and Siva, Divine, one of those players has a day out, yes, maybe. Um, but I tend to agree with you. I think they've finished top for a reason. They've given themselves the the best chance. I think for for these games that sit underneath, I think it's going to be about who on the day has some some great performances. So um I'm not sure if I like this format as a player, but again, mm. as a fan, you sit back and I'm looking forward to watching those games because I, I think any any of those three teams could end up playing against the striker. So striker, so could be very interesting. I've always preferred the semifinals format to this, but uh, yeah, it is what it is, isn't it? So I think the strikers are interesting in the sense that there were a few years where they made finals and absolutely had a stinker of a day out. And I'm thinking way back to maybe WBBL 0506, like back then, middle of the kind of history of the comp where they just kind of didn't have that focus on game day when it came to those finals matches. But certainly the last couple of years, all of that investment in their younger ones has now paid off as they've got older and that experience is shining through, not only for strikers, but you see so many of their players in the Australian setup too. So I think that's probably a sign of all of the hard yards done in the early years to get to where they are now. Well, whoever your team is, if they're still playing finals WBBL, we hope that they do well this weekend. Of course, there can only be one winner, but yeah, we just hope it's an entertaining final series and that everyone gets a little bit out of it of what they're after. We'll be back with you next week to wrap up who has won it and how they did it. So we look forward to coming back to you then. Um, Beamsy, thank you so much for joining me again after such a long time. It's been lovely being reunited this afternoon and I can't wait to talk more cricket with you throughout the summer. We're 19 weeks overdue on our catch-up, Ritz, so I'm glad that we finally got there and we're clearly not going to leave it too long between drinks. So I'm looking forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.